Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And just lastly, a word about the away fans tonight. Incredible tonight. They were incredible. So they are able to produce the atmosphere that they produced today in Anfield. I'm expecting that at the Emirates it's going to be even better. We're going to need them to be that top side like Liverpool. We are going to need it right behind them. But uh, first of all, thank you for what they've done today, for travelling here, because uh, it made a huge difference on the team. Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, good morning to you. Good morning to you too, Andrew. How are you doing today? I am okay. It's a bit cold here. Um, I was just saying. We, we've done well to get this podcast on, haven't yeah. we, Andrew? I mean, we're down to the bare bones yeah, here. Exactly. And we're, we're soldiering on. I know, I know, I know. We, uh, we could have called up the reserves, but uh, they've all got. Uh, they've all got flu and diarrhea and things like that they couldn't couldn't make it niggles and sniffles impossible and yet here we are bravely bravely continue yes what a weekend eh what a weekend wow what a weekend i mean i enjoyed it i've got to say once the decision was made uh it was great fun i agree completely i really do um you know we were speaking offline via WhatsApp, whatever it was, and we were kind of like, going, you know, it might not be the worst thing to play this game. They don't have Son, and, you know, we yeah. could still put out a, a reasonable team, et cetera, et cetera. And, like, you know, I wouldn't have minded too much if the game had gone ahead. But, w- like you say, once the decision was made, eventually, when the Premier League, you know, decided to stop whatever it was they were doing... Mm having parties in 10 Downing Street, probably. But, you know, they the application was made on Friday, and at some point on Saturday, they kind of said, well, we've, we've got to make a decision here, don't we? we better let people yeah. know what's going on. But once that I decision... suppose we have made, to abide by the rules, yeah. then. <laughs> the rules that we created and put yeah. in place, I guess we're going to have to... Yeah, once it all went down, it started to become a lot of fun, I think, and... It's been a while since, you know, Arsenal Twitter is a big thing. And I don't mean in terms of its um, its size. I, I just mean like there are various, many aspects to it. You know, um, think of it like a food court serving pretty much everything you could think of from all over the world. That's true. That's what it is. 
and there's going to be people who like certain things and don't like certain things. And that guy over there doesn't get along with that guy over there. But, you know, I don't think I've ever experienced Arsenal Twitter en masse being quite as united and up for the whatever you want to call it, the defending the club or whatever it is. It, yeah. it brought people together in a really interesting way, I thought. Yeah, the Arteta sexuals and people with Mateo Ganduzi <laughs> as their profile picture united as one. It was a beautiful sight. <laughs> oh, man. It, <laughs> it, it is funny, though, you know, how, you know, I think sometimes we get so introspective and we, we focus on ourselves so much that we kind of forget, or it is kind of forgotten, I should say, that, that you know, we're all pretty much in the same boat. Um, when it comes to what we want for the club. You know, we're Arsenal fans. We all want the club to do well. How we get there, how we do it, what's the best way of doing it? Nobody's ever going to agree 100% with everybody. You know, that's that's never going to happen. But when something like this happens, and when it feels like there is um, some sense of injustice, or we are, as a football club and as a fan base, being besmirched unfairly, then... People rally around. I've seen, um, you know, some some fairly high profile people out there who who waded in with their hot takes on mm. Arsenal and everything else, and have been, I suppose, not taken aback by the reaction, but certainly been made very aware that, you know, if you are going to poke a hornet's nest, there's an element of stinginess to that. Yeah, sure, you're going to get ratioed. Yeah, uh, as the kids say. I think um, yes, and, and that that sense of unity, as Mikel Arteta might term it, I think has been building not just across the course of the season, but in recent weeks. Brotherhood, brother, brotherhood, yeah, brotherhood. That's what he meant. He was talking about social media. Uh, I think it has been building. There've been other instances, like for example, the Man City game, mm. which uh, you know stoked the fires of injustice. And um, I think the Liverpool postponement. Uh, Tommy Asu getting his head stood on. Things like that have brought people these, together. Yeah, uh, have, have kind of brought people together. And this really solidified that. And I agree, it was great to see. And um, yeah, I also, I, I sort of think being hated, if that's the right word, or, or certainly being widely criticised, it's not the worst thing, you know. It can forge that sort of togetherness mm. um, that can be a very positive thing. I think you're absolutely right. We we exist in a sort of subculture of Arsenal fans, and so we become very focused and fixated on the divisions within that. But we are all on the same team ultimately and it is a lovely thing to be reminded of that yeah for sure you know when some kind of ex-Spurs player who's deciding to make a big name for himself on social media who I'm not going to name on this podcast but I'm pretty sure everybody knows who I'm talking about you know wants to get involved in that kind of thing it's like well hang on a second we can say what we want about our club but you you have no business saying anything at all about us. So will we timeline this thing? I mean, is it worth yeah, doing the timeline? Yeah, I guess so. So because we, we did the podcast on Friday yeah. and we were talking about it a bit then, weren't we, as a possibility? Yeah. We weren't sure uh, what was going to happen. And then I think in the afternoon it was made public that we had made an application to have the game postponed because of our inability to fulfill the criteria as set out by the Premier League yeah. Which I think is a really, really 
important point that I've seen a lot of stuff about how Arsenal have cheated, how Arsenal have gamed the system. And maybe there's an element of that. We did speak about that a little bit. But, you know, outside of the rules is not where we are on this. We are absolutely 100% within the rules. We made the application based on those criteria that have been applied to every game that is, uh, that has been postponed in recent weeks. This is the criteria that the Premier League eventually put in place, right? So th- the idea that Arsenal have cheated, I think, is is really a, a big reason as to why there's been such a reaction to this. Because, like, I get people want to see a North London derby. I get people want to see football. I get that there are more people who are interested in Tottenham versus Arsenal on a Super Sunday than Burnley versus Leicester. But that mm. game was also postponed and there was mm. not even the slightest bit of reaction to that postponement, even though the reason why that game was postponed and the reasons given by the Premier League were pretty much the same. There weren't enough players to play the game and that's why the decision was made. Yeah. So were, were you, we can talk about the Premier League in a minute, but Based on the fact that the application was made on Friday afternoon, the Premier League then said, we'll have a meeting about it tomorrow, Saturday. I mean, do you think it's incumbent on them in these extraordinary times to move with greater speed than they did over this one? Because I think the delay between the application and the announcement has played a fairly big part in the reaction. Yeah, and and I'm not across the other... Um, postponement request to know how different the timescales are but certainly within Arsenal there was a feeling that this one mm. dragged out longer uh, and unnecessarily long given that they were furnished with the full facts Friday afternoon they had a meeting at 11.15 on Saturday morning <laughs> the Premier League I mean what was wrong with 9 o'clock what's wrong with 9 o'clock well fair yeah, point no. yeah I doubt very much happened in person Um then they obviously didn't want to announce during the Man City Chelsea game. That's mad as well. What was that? What's that? About? Uh, that that to be fair is consistent. I think they have done that. They've they've not made an announcement during a game as yet. Do you know? But what yeah, the, I don't. Do I don't you, know. I don't know what the rationale is. Right. I don't know. Um, distraction. I don't, I don't know. Taking eyes off the the product. But um, yeah, it, it was much longer than it needed to be. Uh, and, and and I. <laughs> I think that obviously what that allowed is a kind of media storm to brew, mm. uh, which began on on Friday night, I guess, on Sky Sports uh, with their coverage of the Brighton game, where they were talking about the issue. Uh, Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville, yeah. and then carried on on social media, in the press, in the papers, mm. pretty much everywhere from that point on. What, what did you make of that from Gary Neville talking about how? Um, Clubs should be made play, um, mm. and he said, well, "Maybe, I, I, maybe I should have spoken out about this three or four weeks ago." Is is what he said, and I think you're you pointed out that he did make a tweet towards the end of December, um, saying pretty much what he said on on Sky. Mm. It's it is difficult though sometimes to to separate the opinion from the context in which that opinion is being given. You know what I mean? Because of there, there, there hasn't been, and 
I will accept that there's probably, with any situation like this or with any set of circumstances like this, there is a moment where there's a straw that breaks the camel's back kind of moment. Like, why are we postponing games? Why, if we don't have a clutch of COVID cases, are games being called off and not being played when clubs have academies and all that kind of stuff? So I accept that this is probably that moment for this scenario it's exposed the 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 rules for being subpar so mm-hmm. i get why you know there might be a moment where everyone goes hang on this is fucking ridiculous but yeah it is still operating within the rules so it felt i think a bit like arsenal were being in fact it was i think like arsenal were being singled out for criticism when other clubs have had games postponed and needed to have games postponed over the last number of weeks without the same level of scrutiny. Mm. I, I think that the fact, well, I think as well, the fact that that happened on Sky and Sky had a vested interest, well, yeah, obviously, but, yeah. in the yeah. game taking place. Yeah, of course. So. Um, it, that's undeniable. And, uh, you know, I I think Gary Neville has other reasons for thinking these games should be played. He's an EFL owner uh, and is aware of the problems that all these postponements are creating in the English Football League lower down the pyramid. So I think he is also speaking from that perspective. But he could have said, uh, what he said is, I haven't spoken up about this until now, but this is wrong. But what he really, what he ought to have said or could have said is, to be honest, I think this is wrong. But I haven't said that previously. Therefore, I can't really hammer mm. Arsenal for it. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah. the distinction. You can make the same point without um, sort of making one club the target. And I know that he, he said this isn't about Arsenal, but it became very much about Arsenal. Mm. Um, what do I think about it more generally? I think it depends what you think the rules are for. So are the rules in place to A, stop the spread of coronavirus uh, within football and within society more generally, or are they in place to preserve the product and sort of make sure when games happen, we've got as many good players on the pitch as possible? Ooh. I, you see, I, I ne- that didn't occur to me. Nor I. Nor I, to be honest, until this weekend. But, right. Because for, for me, the rules are in position for case A, right? The rules are there to mm. theoretically stop the spread of the virus. But That's my impression. Yeah, I, I think that's probably it. I think when they wrote these, they, they wrote them um, with the virus in mind. So if a club has an outbreak of, yeah. of COVID, then there's, there's a, you know, and it remains, I think, a very good reason for a game to be postponed. You know, we are still right in the middle of a pandemic. You know, there's no escaping that. So if a club has six, eight COVID cases, then there's very good reason for a game to be postponed. Um, you know, but that's not the case. And that wasn't the case with Arsenal. But to be fair, that hasn't been the case with a lot of the postponements. That's it. Yeah. And, so and what think- we're seeing is, um, you know, clubs are perhaps because uh, 
like a secondary impact of COVID cases within their clubs are maybe players being more stressed, more fatigued, more susceptible to injury, that kind of thing. And I think that's part of the argument that Arsenal made because, you know, over the last number of weeks, they've had the manager and a couple of coaches out and couldn't prepare games properly and also have had, you know, six, eight, maybe nine players who've had COVID. So 11, apparently. 11, 11. right, okay. Well, there Since you go. Since the Sunderland game. Um, the 21st of December. Yeah. So, and that presumably factors into the decision. I mean, you can make the case that um, that causes you to use players more frequently, therefore they get more fatigued, they become more susceptible to injury, and you end up in the position that we ended up in. I, I suppose what I think is Arsenal didn't break the rules. I'm not, I, it's unclear, it's debatable whether they acted in the spirit of the rules, but that is not what's written down like that they behaved within the guidelines that exist I think that more of these games should have been played and I'm not just talking about Arsenal I'm talking about obviously many many of these postponements I think could and should have been played but people will have different views on that you know some people will say you do have to preserve the product it is about getting the best players out there giving teams the best opportunity to field their best teams that that is somehow better for the integrity of the competition personally I'm more of a mind that kind of dealing with injuries and AFCON and even this COVID stuff which can't really be anticipated to the same degree is just part of the vagaries of a league season and you know that's what makes Mm. the champions the champion that they deal with that and they survive it and you know I think a young player getting their chance in a in big game because there are absentees is part of the fabric of football you know Marcus Rashford might not be a star if he hadn't come in for that Arsenal game and scored twice it's just part of yeah. it I, but I, I don't know what do you think about I, that? I look I, I I only I think the game should only have been postponed if there was um, a significant number of COVID cases like you say Absences through injury, through international duty, suspensions, all of those kind of things are are things that football clubs need to deal with. Premier League clubs have academies. They've got a they've got enough players. And I think one an interesting aspect if we're talking about the integrity of, of the of the product, if you like, maybe mm. the entertainment value would go up. I think, if, yeah, for me, you know, it would, I think. Yeah, yeah. Know, there's a chaos factor to that that exactly. I personally would find very entertaining. I think it could be quite entertaining. I mean, look, it, it's a bit different when maybe you're Man City and your squad is so deep that it has no particular impact on the hugely effective but very sterile football that you play and win the league with year after year after year. But, yeah. you know, if other clubs are having to play young players, I think there is probably some consideration needed for what that might do to some of those young players if they're thrust in when they're not quite ready mm. um you know it might be hugely entertaining for us for example if you know in a north london derby tottenham have to play a 17 year old central defender who then gets absolutely roasted on the day and never recovers but you know for that young player's career not that i particularly care about Tottenham players' careers. But you know what I mean? I think there is some consideration or some consideration needed for that. But for the most part, I I agree. I think the games should have been played. I think the way these rules have been written is... is, um, I don't know if they anticipated this kind of a scenario, but these are the rules. Um, 
I would and, prefer and what it to should play. have been, yeah, go on. in my opinion, is that there should have been a minimum number of COVID cases among mm. players requirement to postpone a game. I, th- I think, I mean, they must know that now, but that's what it should have been. Mm. Um, so, and, and there are other things on. they could have done. I mean, they could have looked at, you know, relaxing rules around player registration to enable more short-term loans or things like that, or to enable players t- teams to recall players and then send them back. There are other things they could have done. Um, but they didn't, and that's why we've ended up. They didn't, out. and look, this is where I think a lot of the frustration felt by Arsenal fans has come from, because the issue is the rules. Hmm. Uh, I think Michael Richards was absolutely spot on when he said, yeah. "Every Knight club, for, Sir Michael Richards, Sir Michael for Richards, his services to Arsenal." I think, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, every club would do the same, and that is absolutely true. Every club will, will seek every possible advantage they can get, not just over something like this, over everything. Every little thing they can do that gives them an advantage, they will do it. So I, I found it a bit hard to take when this was categorized as some sort of moral failing on the part of Arsenal, some kind of like we, we you know, we've let the football world down by deciding that we don't want to play when especially, you know, after we've played without our manager uh, a couple of weeks ago in, you know, the one of the biggest games of the season, um, manager and coaching staff who weren't there to prepare for the game on the training mm-hmm. ground either and all of these players and Arteta's Brentford. messaging. Yeah, well, I mean, the Brentford one is, is another one. That's why it's very difficult to listen to Gary Neville talk about this when, you know, at the end of that Brentford game, he's in the crowd singing and dancing with the Brentford fans when we had four COVID cases and weren't allowed uh, call the game off. Uh, you know, there are games being called off with fewer COVID cases right now. So mm-hmm. those kind of things... So when it was presented, and it was presented by many people, and I think some of those people who are smart enough and understand football well enough to know better than to make it about one club rather than making it about the rules. Because if Arsenal had contravened the rules, you know, we don't have a leg to stand on. You absolutely don't. You can't take any kind of moral high ground if you're the one that has broken the rules. But we, as a football club, did not do anything outside of the rules. So have a discussion, have a debate, talk about it being a terrible thing, talk about how the game should go ahead, but talk about the rules and talk about how they're implemented and how you can change them to make sure that this doesn't happen in the future. Whereas if you hold up one club as this kind of cartoon villain in this whole piece Mm. you get the reaction that we got this weekend which you know as we said has been fun and unifying and and everything else but i was really surprised by some of the people who who completely overlooked that aspect of it in order to i don't know i don't know what the thinking is because you know like i said some of the guys who who came out with the stuff are are smarter than that and know better and, and really should be focusing on where the problem lies, it's not with Arsenal. And it's with the rules and the way that they're, um, they've been written. Yeah, and I think Arsenal, in that respect, have fallen victim to people steadily losing faith in this system around the postponements. Mm. And, I, and I think if this was the straw that broke the camel's back, there were plenty of straws before it. You know, I think of... Leicester playing a cup game and managing to field an 11 and then having their league game two or three days later 
postponed almost immediately. Mm. I think of Crystal Palace asking for a postponement against Spurs and then fielding uh, a team with one change and the guy they took out was on the bench. So it was one unenforced change from their previous game. Um, The Liverpool situation with all the false positives, you know, I think that in the wider football community, there's been a steady increase of, you know, we're not happy with this. This is a bit of a joke. Mm. And then when Arsenal won a postponement, I just think that it was completely unfair that they were the ones targeted and sort of held up accountable. I do wonder if it's partly about perception. I do wonder if... I've heard some people say, oh, is this because we're a threat again, you know, and teams are starting to worry about us, clubs are starting to worry about us. I think that may be true. I also think it may be true. How are Arsenal perceived kind of externally? Is it that they are a bit of a soft touch? Is it that they are a bit... Mm. um, feeble at times a bit vulnerable and then therefore um them ducking out of a game it fits with the kind of shorthand narrative around who we are yeah, yeah, and yeah. that amplifies it again but it doesn't make it right arsenal have only done as mike richard said what what every other club would do in the circumstances and also where this gets really interesting is if the rules are the problem if the premier league is the problem the Premier League is the clubs. They sit around on a meeting. They have a vote. They make the rules. Yeah. So no other club has a right to say, we're not happy with this because they are party to it all. It's not that like the FA are doing this. It's the Premier League and it's self-governed. So they can only look at themselves. That's a great point because I've read pieces about how there's widespread anger how Tottenham were furious yeah, how other is. clubs were furious but yeah like you say they're they're the ones who um who've agreed to these rules so i mean i think we can say fairly categorically that that the rules need to change the question is can they change mid season i don't think they can don't think no. they can it's it's like the five subs rule isn't it that you know i think we're seeing now that the five subs rule probably should have remained this season because of the impact COVID has had on football, on squads, uh, you know, all of those things. I'm not sure quite how much you protect players by taking them off 10 minutes early or 20 minutes early, but, you know, you well, can't... I mean, look at Leeds United. I don't know if you saw their game yesterday, but mm. it was the only game on, apparently. The other one was cancelled. But um, they I hadn't had... Heard that. <laughs> First off, hats off to them. I mean, how their game... Remember when we played them mm. and they had like, I don't know, schoolboys in on the in the team? I mean, it was crazy, oh, right? On the, bench, on the bench, was, yeah. More on the bench, bench yeah. yeah. So I mean, they barely had a team to put together. I think they've got more injuries since then. So I do, I honestly do, as someone who thinks these games should be played, I do take my hat off to them and they got a great result yesterday that did us a real yeah. favour. Um, but they had two injuries in the first half, two further injuries. And then it was like an already stretched squad had to play an hour with one change to make. And it did seem quite absurd. I mean, I think the opposition to five subs was, well, if we go that direction, we're never going back. But mm. this season of all seasons... I, I think it, it would have been very, very useful and a good thing for player welfare. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, but you can't now change that rule mid-season because 
clubs are going to play yeah. fixtures and postpone fixtures where all of a sudden they have, you know, again, this this idea of sporting integrity comes into things. Um, but can you change this rule about absences in games going ahead? I mean, they must be under huge pressure to do something about it. But if the rules have been in place for half a season or more than half a season, then what happens to the next club who let's say he's in the same position Arsenal were when they looked for the postponement quite legitimately within the rules, but they're denied because, well, there's been a bit of a furore on Twitter and Gary Neville isn't happy about it. And he says things should change. So things will change. I mean, that doesn't seem like it's feasible at all. No, I mean, I've heard some people say maybe Arsenal will be used as like the line in the sand and they won't grant the postponement. But mm. I don't think that was ever possible because they had granted Burnley's uh, in the same mm. game week. You know, you can't have one rule for one team and one rule for another within the same game week. Uh, you know, we're saying yeah. you probably can't the whole season. It's really interesting because I don't think they can go back from it now at this point. But I think we can all agree that if even if Arsenal haven't... Um, I mean, yeah, sorry, just to add, some people messaged me saying, why haven't I hammered Liverpool more over the Carabao postponement? And as much as that is a different case, it is partly because in the back of my mind, I did sort of think, well, at some point, we may need or want those rules to work in our favour. And that has come around quicker than we might have anticipated. The, The issue is that with these rules, with the boundaries of them becoming increasingly less clear or maybe the holes in them becoming increasingly more apparent how much more might this loophole be exploited going it's, forward it's not a loophole though that's the thing it is the rule so i don't think it's it is necess- the rule yeah yeah yeah, yeah but, i don't necessarily but, but think loophole, it's a loophole I mean, but i know what I mean, you mean it, i mean it's some a rule that how can i put it without libeling anybody (laughs) it's a rule that um can be you you invoke it at your discretion yeah yeah, right so arsenal didn't have to appeal for a postponement they could have put out charlie patino's younger brother or whatever it is yeah so how many more appeals for or requests for postponements do you think we're going to see between now and the end of the season my gut instinct says if the rules remain the same quite a lot yeah. What do you make of the contention or, or the the criticism leveled at Arsenal over this? Because, well, they let two players go on loan. Two players went on loan and now they don't have enough players. If they kept those players, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. I mean, that added another layer to it as I, well. But Yeah, and I wonder if that's why Miguel Aziz came back when he did. I, I'd be curious to know about the timing of that. You know, was it a case that they had to recall him in order to make the case, look, we're doing everything we can to get players on the pitch. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, I think we'll we'll have to wait and see what happens with him. I'm not sure. Personally, I'm not sure that he is being recalled for first team action with us. I oh, just, no, no. I, I agree. I just wondered if it was yeah. maybe like a, a show, numbers yeah. thing, the box they ticked. I, yeah. I, I mean, I think he was not getting enough game time at Portsmouth anyway, probably. It wasn't going brilliantly mm. for him. So he might have come back at some point. But the timing of that was interesting. Um, as for us loaning players out, uh, I mean, 
I, I think I have to be honest and say we thought it was a bit weird <laughs> to loan Maitland-Niles out. Yeah. So I can understand others raising eyebrows at that. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I get it. I get it. But, you know, we have done a lot in the last number of weeks with COVID. And, yeah, you know, I don't think this was, was wasn't a case of like, um, right, let's get Maitland-Niles out on loan and Balagoon out on loan because we want to get the North London derby called off. I mean, oh, I, think no, Arsenal's, I don't think that. Arsenal's desire, if at all possible, would have been to play that game, you know? Um, so I don't, you know, I, I don't think there's anything nefarious in that sense. Balagoon needed a loan. We couldn't just hang on to him for one fixture just so we could have numbers. I mean, that's a decision that's been made about a really talented young player and his future and his development. That's why he's gone to Middlesbrough for the rest of the season. Maitland-Niles wasn't really playing anyway and had a chance to go to Roma and the deal was done again before, you know, the Shaka red card and all of that kind of stuff. So, like, I, I I get it. I think it's coincidence. It's certainly not a plan. No, I think the Balogun one is sort of irrelevant because... Although he might have contributed to the numbers, I just think he's with the players who are fit. I mean, we know Lacazette was probably fit, and Ketia probably fit, Martinelli probably fit. So Balogun's like fourth choice mm. in his position. I just don't really regard that as particularly relevant. It's interesting you mentioned Shaka there, and I do wonder. Speaking of straws breaking camels' backs, I do wonder if that was the thing that really. Um, I don't know. I, I I have to wonder whether the game would have been postponed if he was available. I know that the numbers suggest that we would have struggled anyway, mm. but I just think I do wonder if, like in those internal meetings when they were looking at it and talking about it, his absence I think must have weighed significantly. I know that will. Fortunately, no one who listens to other sports, other clubs, listens to this, so no yeah. one will hear me say that on air. <laughs> but do you, do you agree? Like I feel like that. If he was fit and if he was available, maybe there would have been a game on. Yeah, maybe. 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 I don't know. I mean, it's it's just one of those situations, I think, where... It, I think we'd be wrong to say that maybe it isn't um, in some way beneficial for us because of the absences that we have. Mm. But... Look, it, you know, it, it's, it comes down to just um, operating within the guidelines that exist at this moment in time, which is what we've done. Yeah, and, and I want people who run the club to look out for the best interests of the club. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and I think that, to be honest, I feel like the postponements went against us quite a few times. You know, certainly the Liverpool one felt like it went against us. We were mm. all looking forward to playing there under 12s or whatever it might be. Um, and, and I think even arguably the Wolves one, you know, we had very good momentum at that time. I think yeah. that's a game we probably would have won, ramped up the pr- pressure on the people around us. Um, there may be other, inter- obviously Brentford being another yeah. case. And, and Arteta was publicly saying, look, we want to play, we want to play. And... There is a slight element of this which feels a bit like if you if 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 you can't beat them, join them. And actually, yeah. I'm all for that. Like, if everyone else is playing the game, why shouldn't you? Well, exactly. We would be naive not to, you know, like mm. as if any other club in those circumstances wouldn't have tried 
like Tottenham wouldn't have tried, give me a break, you know? Um, the other thing to say maybe about the Liverpool game being postponed is that the EFL rules are quite different. You know, yeah. it's basically, well, you've got players, stick them out there. Um, it doesn't matter how far down your academy you need to go, get the under nines on the bench if that's what it takes, you know? And and that's why maybe the Liverpool game being postponed felt uh, felt a bit different, but... And I think it is a good thing for Arsenal. I mean, personally, I think we would have had a chance of going to Spurs and getting a pretty good result. They were missing a mm. uh, number of key players, Son, Reguillon, Romero, Dyer, um, and a similar-ish team from us did pretty well at Anfield the, the, a few nights before. Mm. However, when you look at the sort of lay of the land in terms of our fixtures, and you think about the fact that the amount of rest we'll get before the second leg of Liverpool and then subsequently the Burnley game. The fact that our February looks pretty sparse compared to a lot of other clubs. Mm. The fact that Spurs are going to have to fit in, is it four games now? Uh, you know, that they've missed in the Premier League. Uh, and they look like maybe our most threatening rival in terms of league places. Uh, I think this definitely does suit Arsenal. And yeah. I think it's a good thing that we had this this little break, even though, you know, that doesn't come with any guarantees. We don't know what team we'll be able to put out on Thursday. Yeah, I mean, Mikel Arteta is pretty guarded as it uh, when it comes mm. to team news at the best of times. Well, so With good reason. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that was a, probably a factor of late, you know, because this is not necessarily a recent development, but I just wonder, um, you know, they used to put out the fitness update from the medical team and they've stopped yeah. doing that and I just wonder if as a kind of precautionary measure they don't want to make too much fitness information public in case a situation like this arose and they needed to um, they needed to you know use the rules yeah assess everything internally yeah I, I and I think the coaching staff generally are um, I don't think they ever loved uh, the sort of detailed medical updates. I don't. So I, I'm curious to see if they come back, because I think there was always a sort of sense of, well, why are we giving this information to opponents? It's a really mm. interesting one that I think, because obviously fans want to know, and so you need to have some communication with fans about that. But I also understand wanting to withhold things as much as possible. It's yeah. A tricky one, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Um, but look. We are where we are right now. We've got a, a game on Thursday, of course, yeah. uh, against Liverpool, then a game against Burnley. So it does give us that bit of a chance to to get some players hopefully back and rested and maybe some players who were borderline perhaps for this weekend if the game had gone ahead might be over the other side of the border right now. Yeah, I hope so. You know, you'd have, you'd like to think... People like Smith Rowe, Tommy Asu, some of the knocks we picked up in Liverpool. I think uh, Chambers, Saka. Uh, who else was mentioned? Cedric was mentioned. Um, there's one Tierney was yeah. one that was mentioned to me. Uh, you'd like to think they'd have a chance. Obviously, Granite Xhaka, he'll be banned for both these games coming up um, next week. Yeah. But home games maybe a little bit more tolerable in that respect. And hopefully some other midfielders back. Martin Odegaard's period of isolation certainly will be over by then. Yeah. Um, it's just a question of what sort of condition he's in.
Should we just finish this part of the um, podcast by just talking again about how much fun it was? Because it really was. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> well, also, like, it, it is It is just great to see people losing their shit, basically, boiling their piss over this stuff. I mean, it's very, 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 very funny. And... I, 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 to be honest, I'm actually, I can't wait for that game whenever it comes round because it's going to be very heated. Um, and yeah, I, I've, uh, it's, it's just great to sort of play up the rivalry and, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the sense of like faux injustice that I saw from, from some of the Tottenham fans, like obviously I don't follow too many Tottenham fans, but, uh, there were things being retweeted into my timeline from, yeah, sure. from Arsenal fans, like petitions, uh, you know, we, we should ask the queen to do fucking something about this as if she hasn't got enough going, going on at the moment. Well, you know. let, let, let me, let's, let's talk about it from this perspective, um, why are they so scared to play our first team? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I love that aspect of it. Like, they're so desperate to get to have a go at us when we're weak because they remember the first game. 3-1, they got absolutely trounced. And we're a better team now than we were then. Yeah. So no wonder they're scared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, like I said, I would have, I would have quite liked to play this weekend because, you know, they had some players missing. But just the way that... that, that somehow this was seen as a piece of underhanded chicanery uh, mm. by Arsenal uh, and that it really annoyed so many other people is absolutely great. And that, that sense of unity between Arsenal fans um, online, which I, I think has been present in real life too. And you can say you can say that better than I can because you've been at games and you've been to away games and yeah, and everything question. else. And and I you know I haven't um, for obvious reasons um, due to travel not been there this season, unfortunately. But you know even from a distance, you can feel that there is a connection between the fans and the team that was maybe not quite there um, in the last couple of years for various reasons: new personalities, new characters, new. Um, a new connection, if you like. Um, but all of that is there and, and for it to play out online and in real life is, is really great. And I hope it's something that we can continue to, to cultivate. Like I hope it's, it's impossible to know, but I really hope that within the club that the reaction to this is something that they can use because, mm. you know, I think they're, they're not going to sit there and feel like they've been picked on or anything like that. But at the same time, I'm I'm curious to see what Mikel Arteta has to say in his press conference this week before before the Liverpool game because he's going to be asked about it. And I've seen a few snippy comments from other managers and other people. Um, like I, I'm I'm curious to see his reaction, how he deals with it internally, how that then is transmitted into the way that we play and approach these games. And um, I think we had a question here. Maybe I'll just see if I can find it because um, it might be relevant. 
Uh, uh, 1-0 to the Arsenal who's at 1-0 Arsenal said interesting to assess the effect of this week the Emirates will be rocking on Thursday the fans seem more united than ever without a goal being scored Arteta has found uh, a unifying moment how well do you think Arteta has handled the game away from the game Um, and I think some of it is circumstance but it's also true that you know on Thursday if there is this sense that like everyone is against us and Liverpool, you know, um, have had the postponement thing, et cetera, et cetera, that it will create an atmosphere which could be conducive to like a really great cup tie. Yeah, I mean, I think we said on Friday about the atmosphere is going to be great. And this is prior to all this. Mm. So I think, yeah, this is just going to really turn up the volume and it should be a great uh, occasion. I really hope we can get the result. Yeah. And, and more broadly, I mean, we spoke about Tottenham being annoyed, Daniel Levy being annoyed, the Spurs fans being annoyed. Those reasons in itself were just good justifications for doing this. <laughs> like, if that's all this was about, it was worth it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure it's not, but let's just imagine for a moment that it was just to really annoy Spurs. Absolutely. That's enough for me. I'm just sitting here smiling at that. That's fine. <laughs> all right. Will we take a break? Let's take a break. Let's take a break. We'll do your questions and more in part two right after this. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog and also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. Uh, James, in the spirit of um, annoying Tottenham, Mm. you can go first. Not that that this would annoy Tottenham. I just am enjoying the idea. That would annoy Tottenham, actually. I really hope this is accurate. So this is from Twitter, JRST91. And they ask, are you aware that on the latest FIFA update, if you're beating Spurs, the crowd starts singing, Tottenham get battered everywhere they go? No way. Can anyone corroborate this? No way. That would be fucking amazing. I'll tell you this, though. (laughs) I've never played... Tottenham on FIFA like if I'm playing FIFA 22 and I go on to the seasons thing where you just play online against randoms yeah 96% of the time 
the opposition is PSG. Every single fucking player out there is using PSG, I guess because the because of Messi and Neymar and Mbappe. Mbappe. Like, I, I get it. I understand it. But it's sort of boring when you're... Why would they play? not want to use Sun and Bergwijn instead? <laughs> <laughs> Why indeed? Uh, Who knows? Um, so I don't... I, I obviously can't say if that's the case, but... I we need to find to out true. if that's true. That'd be amazing on the part of EA. I mean, wow! I couldn't endorse a game ha- harder if that is correct. So let us know, FIFA aficionados. I was going to say we could probably do a, a, a FIFA thing again, but it would mean one of us would have to play with Tottenham, and that's not something under no circumstances. No way, absolutely not prepared uh, to do that at all. So. Um, so that was my sort of silly little question. I hope that's uh, true. Hey, so, yeah. Do you want a serious one? Go on. So this is from C White ninety. Okay. Um, goodly morning. He says, "I think it probably is a goodly morning." Fair shout. Not specific to Arsenal, but do you think the wider media approach to COVID cases and postponements underplays the impact of the virus on players' well-being? I am thirty-two and a fairly serious runner. Despite fortunately having quite a mild case of COVID-19, I'm still out of breath and easily fatigued on short runs a few weeks later. Has all the debate forgotten that this can still be a serious virus with lasting effects on player health and performance we may not see? I think that's a very fair point. I think it's a very fair point. Um, That like for most people, thankfully who get it, it is is mild. At this point with vaccines and with different variants, yeah. It seems yeah. to be for most See, people, for, for but, most, but, but for not but, for all. Well, of course, but and the thing is, when the um, the volume of cases is as high as it is, uh, and infections is as high as, as it is with this variant, that's going to increase the amount of people who, unfortunately, uh, don't have a mild case. And look, I, I know from personal experience um, what what damage this virus can do, but I also think it's. Um, it's something that, you know, in, in terms of the most extreme impact it can have, right? However, I've been reading quite a bit uh, of late about the idea of long COVID. And mm. we're not, we're heading up on two years, which isn't really a long time, you know, with a new illness to understand what the long-term impact or, or complications of it might be for certain people. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it might be possible that that players who contract COVID find it difficult. I, I I'm sure I remember reading maybe in the first lockdown or when football came back. Was it Newcastle? Steve Bruce was talking about how certain players have it had it, Steve Bruce, yeah. and how like they're just knackered, they're jaded, they're. Banjacks, there are all kinds of things that they don't have the physical capacity that they've uh, that they previously had, or it took them some time to get back to that level. So, yeah, I mean, it is um, it is a consideration, I guess. Um, yeah, and and we've you know we've got very recent sort of uh, experience of that ourselves. I mean, Alfonso Davis, the Bayern Munich defender, was uh, diagnosed with heart muscle inflammation which has prevented him training for a period of time mm. and of course over the weekend we had the story about uh, Pierre Mbappemiang as well yeah. I mean we did a question um, on that actually um, from the real chicken dipper 
on uh, the Discord who said, uh, Goodly still in fifth place, lols morning. <laughs> what do you guys make of Aubameyang's uh, heart issues and how worried are you, current issues aside, we might never see him play again? Without speculating, I wonder if he's suffering from some sort of long COVID. We don't hear much about the lasting effects uh, of players having caught the virus. And do you think it would explain his huge dip in form? Hmm. Uh, really hard to speculate, yeah. isn't it, about someone's health? And obviously, I'm not a doctor. In this instance, Arsenal are very keen to make clear that they're not overly concerned about Birmingham at this point. I think the fact that the Gabon statement diagnosed three players with the same thing suggests that it's unlikely mm. to be something dramatically serious, just on a purely statistical basis. Um uh, you know, I think sort of, I think it's myocarditis, which is like heart inflammation, is quite a common side effect of COVID in mm. healthy young people. Um, and uh, in fact, Thomas Tuchel was speaking a couple of weeks ago about maybe it was N'Golo Kante or somebody else. He was talking about players returning from COVID. And he was making the point that they have to undergo routine uh, heart checks in order to return to training. Mm. And I suspect that that's exactly what's happened in the Gabon camp and that these players have been basically deemed not yet ready to play. Um, apparently he had been training uh, mm. at so clearly fine to train, but perhaps not to play. Nevertheless, of course, it's alarming. Of course, it's concerning. And, uh, you know, I know the, cl- the club are in dialogue with Gabon and and I'm sure Oba's getting well looked after. Um, yeah, I mean, fingers crossed. Uh, for him and for his teammates, and and that everything is is a okay, you know. Yeah, I mean, he could thing. he could theoretically play in their final group game, which you know they need, and would be a big shame for him if he missed mm. the whole of Africa. If they were to go out um, and him not play, that would really compound what's been a really difficult period for him. Um, just on the illness front, I, I think we should factor it into our assessment of him that he has had COVID more than once. He also had malaria, let's not forget, mm-hmm. in that period. Another disease that can have quite long-lasting implications. Um, so even if he's not still carrying the effects of those illnesses, the stop-start nature of his involvement over the past, yeah. I don't know, 12 to 18 months, I think clearly has been a factor in his struggles. Mm. Yeah, we'll look. We'll have to wait and see what happens and and whether something in the transfer market means that um, we need to to bring him back into the fold, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. We talked about that a bit on Friday as well. But you know, first and foremost, let's hope uh, he gets well and stays well, um, and then we'll see where we are. But yeah, look, I I do think this is going to be a conversation that as this pandemic continues and it doesn't look like it's going away anytime soon, that there will be players like everyone else who are, who are more adversely impacted than, than others. Um, yeah. Just because a guy's 10 days are up <clears throat> and just because mm. he's now testing negative does not mean he's not in some capacity feeling the effects of the virus. That'd be a good question. I think for, for Mikel Arteta, um, yeah, without without having to go into specifics, but is or have there been COVID cases within Arsenal that have left players slow to return to their peak physical capability? I wonder. Mm. Yeah, I would be fascinated to find out. Um, 
Okay, shall we have another question? Yeah. This is one from Indistinct Chattering at David Lindor. It says, uh, oddly morning, men, which I quite like. Do you think the confidence level of fringe squad members took a hit with the request to postpone, i.e. that the club would rather do that than use them in a North London derby? And if so, (laughs) does that matter? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I mean, it might not have been about the the first 11 we could put out as much as what we would have after that on the bench, you know, uh, I think 13 outfield players yeah, is the requirement. Right. So if we couldn't fulfill 13 outfield players, it would have meant, you know, a bench full of kids basically. And the Premier League appear to be briefing because I've read it several places today that even with the AFCON players, um, mm. we would have struggled in terms of the numbers. So, uh, yeah, I I think players won't be bothered by that. Honestly, knowing what footballers are like, they'll think, oh, great, we'll probably get the day off on Sunday now. <laughs> Genuinely, like I think... And they'll be delighted to have that rest and respite and time with their families and all those things and focus on Thursday. Mm. I think I think they I think they'll be fine. Yeah, um, I don't I don't think anyone's gonna be sitting at home, you know, crying about the fact that they they weren't playing in this just, particular game. Just quickly, I didn't see a question about it specifically, um, but news from it- Italy this morning that Pablo Marie Speaking of squad players, gets quite close to a, a, a move yeah. to Udinese. I have a question about it, actually, if you want. Oh, go on. Yeah. Then, yeah. Benjamin Brooks, who's at bearded underscored chap. He says, hi, gents. With Pablo Marie looking likely to depart, does this mean Arteta is becoming more pragmatic rather than dogmatic? He previously spoke of specificity for positions, but losing our left-footed centre-back cover does seem uh, doesn't seem to marry with this. So... It's an yeah, interesting it one, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. You know, it was such a feature, wasn't it, of his teams and his squad that um, he would always have a left-sided centre-half out there and he wanted two in the squad in case he lost one. Mm. I think um, I think, I think, think he probably just felt he had to let Marie go. I mean, he's not used him at all, has he, since the very start of the season? No, he hasn't been seen since the, um, the Chelsea game. You know, right. when Lukaku... Just, I mean, I don't think Lukaku had to do a lot to physically monster him on the day, and he hasn't been seen. And it, it's because Gabriel is back, obviously, and playing yeah. well. That's a big part playing of it. A lot more consistently, playing a lot more. But uh, you know, I think what we we are probably saying is, oh fuck, something fell off my desk. Um, <laughs> I think they're saying that if Gabrielle is out, we would prefer to use Rob Holding as the left-sided centre half than Pablo Marie. In which case, we might as well let him go. Like I, I understand the um, the concern when it comes to squad depth, particularly at a time where you know we 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 are short of numbers, but I don't think it's a real loss in terms of quality to be honest no and and you have got other options i mean you know say tomiyasu for example Mm. plays left-sided center half for japan yeah 
Um, in a pinch, if you happen to lose Gabriel and Rob Holding or Gabriel and Ben White, you've got that option. Callum Chambers is still in the squad. I know people have their reservations about him, but I'm not sure he's any worse than Pablo Marie based on what we've seen this season. No. Um, and even then, if things get absolutely dire, Kieran Tierney can play at centre-half. So, you know, I think it's okay. This is not, unlike the Maitland-Niles one, this is not one famous last words that I'm worried about. No, me neither. Me neither. I don't think he's, you know, ever quite been at the, the level we needed. So, um, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it is just, it does feel a bit strange, players going on loan when, you could make a very good case for adding to the squad before you let anyone else go. Um, unless those things are somehow related. I don't know, but unless mm. there's some, a need to free some wage bill. I don't know. Uh, yeah, homegrown. Uh, yeah, what what are the quotas in terms of... Oh, um, uh, yeah, true. I don't know where so maybe we that's, with that. We've lost a homegrown player in Maitland-Niles. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Um, but maybe we were trying to make some space. Maybe, you know, the 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 moving of Marie is as much about making space for a non-homegrown player. Could um, be. Here's a question from the Discord from Huzz, who says, Hello, gents. With Marseille having a transfer ban, does Genduzzi have any future at Arsenal? With the right attitude, he could do a great partnership with Partey. Yeah, don't know. Uh, I'm trying to find out because there's slightly conflicting information around about what exactly the nature of the deal with Marseille is. I was told at the time um, that it was an obligation at yeah. the end of the loan. Likewise. Likewise. Yeah. I think there might have been certain conditions um, around the obligation, but nothing hugely problematic. Stuff like, don't get relegated, things mm. like that. Um, whether a transfer ban impacts all that on that, I don't know. I think I think Kovacic to Chelsea happened in a similar fashion during a transfer ban for them, where he was already there on loan, already registered with them, and it was made permanent. Yeah. But I'd need to double-check that. My suspicion would be... If the deal is done, the deal is done and it will happen. Yeah. Um, I find it hard to see him having a future at Arsenal at this point. I agree with that. I agree. Uh, I don't, I'd be very surprised. Yeah, very, me too. Very, very surprised. Me too. If, look, if there's an obligation to buy at the end of the deal and things seem to be going pretty well for him at Marseille, like they like him, he likes them, which is, you know... Not necessarily the case. Uh, <laughs> the other way around. Um, mm. Why wouldn't it go ahead? Now, unless their transfer ban uh, precludes it. But like you say, there's there's precedent for it to go through. So we'll we shall see. see. We shall see. Um, I thought this was interesting on the Discord from MK, sort of about refereeing. So, hey, guys, would love your take on this. In the game against Liverpool last Thursday, I would argue that we would have been better off if Granite had made the foul in the box rather than outside, so he would only receive a yellow card. Maybe Liverpool would have scored the penalty, but our winning chances would still be there. Why not change the rule so the referee can give a penalty and a yellow card 
if a foul outside the box takes away an obvious scoring chance. This would make the punishment fit the crime and the game won't be ruined like it was last week. I think that's... Uh that is a suggestion that I've heard before and I, I quite like because it goes back to what we were talking about, uh, about the how quick referees can be to, to send players off. And what it does mm. is, A, in some cases it ruins the game. I think we talked about this after the Man City game, you know, yeah. that what was a brilliant game of football turned out to be an inevitable, you know, Man City win because when you're playing against them with, with 10 men, regardless of how late the goal was. It is interesting, isn't it, that this rule, this triple jeopardy rule, where a player, if he's making a genuine attempt to go for the ball and concedes a penalty, even if he's the last man, he's given a yellow card, you don't have that triple punishment of red card, suspension, and penalty being given. I don't quite yeah. know why it doesn't apply outside the box no, because I, I, I think it. like Jack would have been would have been uh, the question is some way right in some ways he would have been better off yeah. committing that foul a few yards closer to go yeah because you know he did as clumsy as it was as much as he tried to karate kick the ball into space oh and a big shout out to whoever the oh, let me see if I can find that did you see that clip oh yeah it was um, Doom and Guna uh, made a great video clip of the well, it was us us reading out uh, Johnny Liu's piece yeah. about Shaka uh, uh, played over it. Yeah. It's, I'll give it a retweet. So yeah, it's yeah, very yeah, funny. yeah, it's good. But uh, I've lost my train of thought here. But I, I do think he was actually trying to get the ball. I think yeah, it was yeah, yeah. it was a, a very clumsy, not particularly smart way of trying to get the ball. But I think he was trying to get the ball and. In those circumstances, I'm not sure why. What what was the distance between inside the box and outside the box in that? 10 inches, 18 inches, two feet, whatever it was. Mm. You know, what's the difference there um, that makes one... Um, you can judge it under this uh, triple jeopardy rule or whatever you want to call it, and the other is just an instant red card like the referee had no hesitation about taking the card out like i thought it was a red card but i i i think that is a better solution yeah you know? yeah i i i think or, or maybe look at taking away or is there a way that you could keep the player on the pitch but suspend them for the next game like there's got to be some way of redressing that balance do you know what i mean mm. so that because going it down to 10 men, it does so change the dynamic of one game. Um, I quite like the reader's suggestion. You know, mm. if it's a clear goal scoring opportunity outside the box, award a penalty and a yellow card. I mean, a penalty is a much higher sort of expected goals than almost any other chance. So yeah. It's like 0.7 or something, but you know. What is uh, what is the difference between a penalty and a guy going one on one with the goalkeeper with just the keeper to beat? Um, I don't know. Well, probability says penalties are scored a lot more frequently, basically. Um, mm. But yeah, I, it, it it does seem mad. That is kind of a, a a gap in the law. I think that Shaka was punished so much more harshly than mm. if he committed the foul when Jota was arguably in a better scoring position. Yeah. Okay, here's one from Prakash 
Narayan, who's at Nagapundi Prex on Twitter, who says, I feel what recent reports indicating that William Saliba is expected back at the end of the season, White, Gabriel, and Saliba could be our very own Stones, Laporte, and Diaz, young mobile defenders who replace each other without a hitch. Your take? It's a nice idea. Mm. Um, I'm really in two minds on Saliba. I mean... A few months ago, I kind of thought, I can't see him coming back. You know, I just think, I thought there was too much water under the bridge. He'd be so enamoured with playing regularly for Marseille. Um, I mean, their transfer ban helps <laughs> in that respect. Mm. Um, I, I, the thing is, if we have European football next season, whether it's Champions League or Europa League, we're going to need more centre-halves. And it looks like Pablo Marie is probably not going to be one of them if he's going to be permitted to leave on loan at this stage. Mm. Um, we need some really top quality ones and Saliba would be a great addition because I, I could see him partnering Gabriel. I could see him partnering White. You know, I think a, a lot of times the instinct is, well, how would we play them together? You know, would we have to play a back three? Could White play at right back? I think the reality is even if you're playing four four two, if you're competing on multiple fronts, you're going to need to rotate. Um and some got, sometimes a pair will emerge as the superior pair and you'll stick with them. And mm. other times that dynamic might change. Like John Stones, he's been in and out at City because partnerships have good runs and then it changes. Yeah. Um, I mean, listen, it would be a great solution for Arsenal if we could get him back. Bear in mind that you know most of the transfer fees probably paid at this point. He is our player. He's under contract for another two years. He's a really promising prospect. I would consider that a very happy ending to quite a sort of torturous story yeah. until this point. Well, you know what? I think the way that we could, uh, the way that we look at this situation now can be is a bit different than let's say last summer when the decision was made very quickly that they were going to loan him out, and everyone's like, yeah. "What the fuck? Arteta hates young players." He hates Saliba, he hates everything, you know, to do with Raul or whatever it might be. You know, all these things that went on. Now, you look at what he's doing in Marseille, which is playing regularly, playing very well, developing nicely as a central defender. He is still only 20? Is he 21 yet? He's he's uh, 21 in March. Right? right, so still so so young, so young for a central defender. Right, we're now seeing a team developing at Arsenal full of twenty-year-olds, twenty-one-year-olds, twenty-two-year-olds, twenty-three-year-olds, twenty-four-year-olds, and a couple of more experienced players in the mix. Mm-hmm. For the most part, the age profile at Arsenal has changed. The manager's working with these young players. He's getting a lot out of them. And now it becomes much easier to see, A, the logic in loaning Saliba out, you know, so he can get this playing time, mm-hmm. and B, a pathway into this Arsenal team. So my my feeling on it maybe six months ago was like, I'm really not sure it's going to work out. Now I feel like, it's a really uh, promising situation for Arsenal. Um, one that I'm slightly anticipating. Um, 
excitedly the idea of Saliba being back in the team next season and back in the squad next season because all the aspects, all the physical aspects of his game, you know, his his height, his profile, his pace, what he does with the ball, they fit. They fit mm-hmm. this Arsenal team now. Um, quite what the situation is, whether he feels... Maybe he felt at the time he's been poorly treated, but maybe when he looks at how he's developed and what the loan deals have done for him, he might feel like, okay, they were probably right, you know, to send me out on loan. So I I think the decision to send him on loan, uh, I always said I I thought it was the right one because he's still so young as a, a central defender. And the benefit of that should be that he comes back into an Arsenal team and a squad that he, he absolutely fits in perfectly. Age profile, physical profile, the way he plays the game, all of it works. So oh, yeah, we're, we're getting back a better player, yeah. I'm sure. And, and that's kind of the point of the loan, I guess. Um, the other thing to say is last summer, when we were talking about it in the early part of the summer, before the Ben White deal, mm. you know, we were looking at thinking, oh, is he going to come in and play alongside Gabriel? Could that be our centre-half? In a way, the signing of White and the success of White and Gabriel takes a bit of the pressure off Saliba that mm. would have been there, which I'm sure Arteta would like, you know, in terms of having not having to rush his introduction. The only question, the only nagging question is sort of how would he feel about well, that? Well, that's you it. Know? Yeah, yeah. That's the, and that's that's the thing the we can't control. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, Arsenal, no one at Arsenal can really control that. And mm. if he decides, well, I don't want to do that. I want to go and play every single week, every mm. single game, he may leave. But at least he'll leave, I think, with a value... Um, significantly higher than it was 12 months ago mm. based on what he's done at Marseille uh, questions mm. I had more I've got one Should here I... yeah yeah go on you, you you do one we have one uh, I say I've got one and then I don't have it in front of me um, well Wellowino Wellowino who's at Wellowino on Twitter, says, given that we only play one league game now against Burnley before the return of the AFCON players, do you think we should still try to sign a midfielder? And if we do, should it only be a short or a long-term signing, a long-term permanent signing, instead of a short-term loan like Arthur? And then on the Discord, we had Lefty Righty asking, Arthur, Yuri Tielemans, or Bruno Guimaraes? at central midfield or anyone else uh, we've been linked with who is your pick and why um well i mean it's great i mean Ghana could go out is it today they they play or it might be tomorrow but they've got a game where they think they need to win 2-0 something like that right through against someone not especially good like it's i'm looking at the fixtures it is Comoros tomorrow, 7 o'clock. I think they need a 2-0 win. They right. certainly need a result because I think, um, yeah, they trail. Uh, is it? Is it? They trail... Uh, they're Gabon, third. Yeah, they're third in their... They're third in their group. Mm. So if Gabon... So some of the third teams go through, basically. Oh, right, okay, okay, okay. okay. Um, I mean, the likelihood is they get there, but it'd be nice... Thoughts. I think we might get Thomas Party mm. back again. Sorry to our Ghanaian listeners. Um, do I think we still need a midfielder? Yeah, I think we probably... I think we should certainly try and do it. I think 
you know, are we going to loan someone better than El Nenny? Very possibly. Mm. Um, and so that would improve the squad. Maitland-Niles has gone, ultimately. And I think it would be good to replace him if we can. Uh, it's great that we've only got one league game until we get may well get Thomas Partey back. That's really good news. Um, but I still think it's worth doing something with. In terms of kind of long-term, short-term thing... It really depends what's feasible. Mm. I mean, if you read me that list of three players, what was it? Arthur, Tielemans and um, mm. Guimaraes, Bruno, uh, Leon. I mean, I'd choose, I'd choose Tielemans, of course, I think. I, for me, that's obvious. He's a Premier League player. He's one who's, yeah, I, like I think, him. been really impressive. Um, loads of ability. Uh, yeah, I think he'd be a great signing. Sort of like... You know, we've seen with White the advantage of buying Premier League players, you know, uh, at Ramsdale to an extent that we've also seen with them, they can be very expensive. Mm. Um, I'm sure that would be the case again. But yeah, I, I do I do like him. I mean, I thought Arsenal should have been in for him when he left Monaco and uh, he's done well at Leicester. But I don't see that as a kind of mid-season deal, really. No, I mean, it's it's... Not dissimilar to the Vlaovic one in that there are 18 months left on his contract. It does seem like there's some uncertainty. Like we we, we know that Vlaovic is not going to sign a new contract with Fiorentina. I read that piece, by the way, in the Financial Times. Oh, uh, the yeah. The owner, yeah, it's, it's, it's very good. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. It is interesting. I'll put a link to it in the show notes if people want to have a read. Um, but I guess that then, you know, if you're a club and you want to maximize the transfer value of a player, even if you don't want to lose him mid-season, he's probably going to fetch more in January than he is in the summer. True. So it depends on how Arsenal want to push the boat out, if they want to push the boat out at all, if a player is potentially available. Um, yeah, it, it all comes down to to what they're planning on doing. I, I do think we still need a midfield signing. Mm. Um. Yeah. Yeah, like even if we could get away without one, it's like that's not really the point. You know, we're not trying to get away with it. We're trying to take every opportunity to improve the squad. Yes, um, maximise every window, as Arteta said. Absolutely. And even if that is a, a short-term loan signing, then so be it. I mean, the noises coming out of Italy regarding Arthur are quite conflicting. Mm. Um publicly Allegri's kind of saying I want to keep my squad together to the end of the season some of the press reports suggest they will ultimately decide to let him go we'll have to wait and see on that I think you know I get the sense that if Arsenal can sign him on loan and reserve resource for the attempt at Vlavic mm. then that makes a degree of sense and that's what they'll try and do um, but my optimism about Vlavic is is uh, well, there's not a great deal of it. Yeah, uh, yeah. we talked about it on Friday, didn't we? And it's just, yeah, I think it's more likely to not happen than happen. Yeah. I mean, on that, David Barrett, who's at Donegal Dave 1976, says, I can't help but feel that the club has this season and next to achieve Champions League football anything longer. And we know the vultures will come after valuable youngsters, especially Saka. Will slash should we break the bank in January for a top four finish this season? I think that is a consideration. It has to be something that they're thinking about. If you're looking at everything at Arsenal with a long-term view, if you're building something, making sure you can keep 
your your best young players is a big part of it. How do you do that? By being successful, by showing progress and, you know, speculate to accumulate or gamble on a, a signing in January, whatever you want to call it. It could certainly help. Certainly, yeah. And let's not forget, within a year or two, um, Chris Wood is going to be firing Newcastle into the top four as well. Um, there is that to consider. Uh, but yeah, I, I think. Listen, I think. I think we all agree on that. And I, to be honest, I think. I think clearly Arteta seems to agree based on what he's saying publicly. And I think there is a will mm. uh, above and beyond him to make that happen. Um, I mean, it is worth saying we are only really at the halfway stage of the window. I think it's felt like we were near the end because there was such desperation for us to get bodies in, particularly with the derby and all the congestion that we faced. But really, it's the second half of a window where business picks up. Yeah. Um, so I think it's fair to say there's a way to go yet and that efforts may intensify towards the end of the window. Um, I don't think it's a given that we get business done. But I would like to think, based on sort of the aggression with which we approached the market last summer, that we'll certainly make every effort to strengthen the squad. Let me ask you this one then. It comes from uh, the Discord, KYKID8, slippery customer, no doubt. <laughs> said, are, are we at a place now where we trust Edu and Arteta to make the right next move? I, I think so. I mean, I, I think you can see that um, even in the links to players that have been out there. I mean, Arthur's been quite divisive. I think I've seen plenty of people saying, oh, I don't fancy him. But even then, you know, in the in the next breath, they'll say, but I didn't fancy Ramsdale. Mm. Or I wasn't sure about Ben White or Tommy Asu. I, I think that they, the trust is much stronger now than it has been Um and I think, yeah, I think justifiably so. Is that your impression? Yeah, I mean, I was it uh, another piece by Jonathan Liu at the weekend where he was talking I about read that one actually. Yeah, he was long talking about yeah, a good piece on our transfer business and taking a long term view on things, which you know we've discussed lots of times. And you know, when you say it, it makes a lot of sense. But living through it and experiencing it is quite different because you know you're you you still got to win football matches. But he was talking about. Uh, Emerson Royale. Yeah. yeah. With cheese. And uh, basically, Arteta wasn't sure about him. This was a deal, though, that maybe Edu was more in favor of. And Arteta was like, no. And we ended up with Tommy Asu. And I think we've come out on top there. I think as well, there was a, you know, a, a difference um, when we were thinking about goalkeeper because. I remember seeing and hearing that we were uh, looking at Neto, yeah, who, yeah. of course, That's was a, you know another Kia client and, and everything else. And I think what we would have been doing there is signing a an average, probably quite expensive, second-choice goalkeeper to Bernd Leno. Mm. And instead, what we got was Arteta's pick in Aaron Ramsdale, who so far, you know, has has added, if not a new dimension, but certainly new characteristics to the team. So mm. I'd probably trust Arteta's judgment a little more than I would trust Edu's at this point. But 
in conjunction, you know, together, the work that they've done in the last transfer window. And when you go back, leaving aside the Runerson one, which was, you know, maybe there were circumstances, but still a really terrible uh, transfer. Gabrielle and Thomas Partey in the previous window, um, well, leaving aside Willian as well. But you know what I mean? There have been, there've been some fairly uh, good hits, you would have to say. Yeah, I think someone made the point on Discord. It's, I think since Arteta was appointed manager rather than head coach, which I think uh, rather astutely, it was the land on Discord manages to avoid uh, Willian because I think that came just before. Mm. Gabriel, Runison, which is obviously the questionable one, party. Uh, Benjamin White, Nuno Tavares, Sambi Laconga, Aaron Ramsdale, Martin Odegaard, mm. Tommy Asu. You won't find too many people um, taking issue with many of those deals. Uh, the, the point about Edu and and Neto and uh, who was the other one we're talking about? Emerson. Yeah, I, I reported on the, on both those things in to different extents, and I think. I have seen it sort of sort of lazily characterised as like Edu wanted the bad players and Mikel yeah. wanted the good players. I think it's a bit more nuanced than that in that if your manager is saying to you, I really want this goalkeeper, um, but you have doubts and you're not mm. crazy to have doubts. You know, you weren't the only one in the room or in the world saying, that sounds a bit of a steep price for that player. Mm. You know, part of Eddie's job is to look at the kind of budgetary issues and say, yeah, I get that, but we could do this. Or And in the same with Tommy Asu, it was like it, Emerson was being discussed as a potential swap with Bellerin. And, it, you know, I think it's worth saying that there was a kind of financial consideration to those suggestions as well as a purely technical one. And the important thing is you get to the right result at the end and... They did. Mm. So yeah, yeah. in any process, people are going to have different views on players. Um, I think the important thing is that like, the consensus you arrive at is the right one. And fortunately, it feels like Arsenal managed to do that this summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, um, I, I hope whatever they do this month, and I do hope they do something because... Not like we're sort of on the crest of a wave or something like that, but I, I, I do feel like there's a bit of momentum to us. Feel like Definitely. there's a bit of momentum, and, and you've and, got to capitalise on it. Yeah, there. exactly, exactly. You know, just a bit of a turbo boost, a bit of something to give everybody a, a um, you know, a kick from fans to players. You know, if the squad are looking at what's coming up between now and May, and you add another good player to that squad. I don't think it does anything negative. It enhances the the level of the squad that you have, the level of the team, the competition in and around. You know, all of that um, will be or could be very useful. So I hope they do something. And, and win a game on Thursday. Mm, you're in a you cup final. you can justifiably say to any new January signing, you can play in a cup final in three weeks. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, it's no small thing. So... No. Yeah, I completely agree. There is a momentum and we should be pushing on at this time. It's the right time. There's a good feeling around the club and uh, mm. I think we're an attractive, a much more attractive proposition than we were six months ago. So, yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed for the window. All right. I think we better leave it there for today. Um, 
because we've you know done plenty and there hasn't even been a game of football so there is a game of football coming up on Thursday of course the semi-final second leg against Liverpool we will be previewing that over on Patreon you can join us over there patreon.com forward slash arsblog we'll be here on Friday with a post-Liverpool Arscast Extra. And uh, hopefully we are talking about a cup final in a couple of weeks' time. For now, though, thank you very much as always for being here, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.